endings? Great endings? Of course you do. Uh, we all love them. Even when a story ends up taking a bad direction, somehow we know in every movie or every book or every story we hear that somehow there has to be some sort of a happy ending. And if it's not, we feel disappointed. We feel like it's not been a good story. Well, somehow this culture around us has conditioned us to, to think about, about happy endings as being uh, the, the measure of whether or not a book is good or a story is good. Well, friends, in some ways, the book of Acts doesn't end with a happy ending in some ways. In some ways, if you look at, at, the, at what's truly happening at the end of Acts, there is something sad that never gets resolved, at least not at the end of Acts. There is a bitter, sweet taste at the end of the book of Acts. Uh, sometimes people have a very rosy picture about the book of Acts. Uh, they think that the book of Acts is an ideal time in the life of the church, as if everything went smooth and was great in the book of Acts. And certainly there are many things that went well, that went great in the book of Acts, but not everything did. Actually, it's, some things have happened that have not been going too well, and some things never get resolved, even at the end of Acts. Actually, it's this morning that I'd like for us to look at this bitter taste, bittersweet taste that we get to see as, as we see the, the Jewish crowd at the end of Acts continue to reject the Messiah continue to reject the Christ, continue to reject the gospel. Let's learn from this rejection. Let's look at this and, and not pretend like it's, it's a great ending because it's not. This particular detail that we will look at this morning, it's not a great ending. And yet, I would love for us to look at how Paul responds to this rejection of the gospel and how Paul speaks to it. Let's learn from it. And especially as we see the, the rejection of the gospel in increasing measures in our own day. So I encourage you, invite you this morning, open the book of Acts to Acts 28. We'll be reading from uh, verse 17 this morning. And by the way, we've been in this passage. This is our third, I think, third Sunday, and it's not the last one. I have one more next week. Um, and next week, I'll be preaching on the last two words or the last sentence uh, in the book of Acts. Um, don't think it'll be a short one just because it's on two words. But um, it'll be good, I pray. Um, but this day, today, I want us to look at this specifically at the theme of rejection, the rejection of the gospel. Um, so Acts 28, 17 through 31, here's the word of the Lord. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had, done, I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. 
but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed the day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without, without hindrance. Amen. This is a word of the Lord. Let's pray that God would bless it for our hearts. Father, thank you that you give us your word. This morning, we desire and ask that you would give us hearts that are open. We pray for hearts that are closed. We pray for hearts that are dull, whether they're here in this very place this morning or they're not with us. We pray that you would have mercy and redeem their hearts, open their eyes, so we and they might see. We pray this in the name of Christ, for His glory and honor. Amen. Friends, this morning I will focus um, only on verses 24 through 29. The text before us tells us about how the Jewish audience responded to Paul's teaching on that day. It was an all-day, all-day teaching from morning to evening. And uh, this text tells us how the Jews responded. And then also how Paul responded to those who rejected the gospel and rejected the message of the kingdom of God and the message about Jesus. Last week, we focused on what Paul taught specifically. What is, what is this message about the kingdom also connected to the message about Jesus and how both of them are really one message? This morning, we will see how Paul actually describes that message about the kingdom of God and about Jesus, Jesus from the Old Testament. Another phrase to describe all that is the salvation of God. That salvation has been sent, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But this morning, we, we look at how the Jews responded to this message that Paul preached and talked about and expounded that whole day. I'd like to look at four brief points at this, at, at, in this story of rejection. Four brief points that become apparent. The first one is, the gospel produces a new division. The gospel produces a new division. Look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now think with me for a moment. When all of them came together that morning, that day, they were all one big camp. They all heard something against Christianity. 
but were interested enough to hear what Paul had to say. They were willing to give Paul a fair chance, a, a fair listening. They're all Jews, all convinced by the law of Moses. But at the end of the day, they were no longer in one big camp together. A division arose among them. Now, at the end of the day, there's a disagreement among them. Some were convinced by what Paul preached about the kingdom and about Jesus, and some weren't. Now, they did not just quietly reject the gospel. They did not just quietly sort of say, well, this is not for me. I don't believe this. I don't buy this. Verse 25 actually tells us that there was some open and verbal disagreement. Verse 25 says that they actually, there was a disagreement among them, among the Jews. Tension arose in that meeting that day because some of the Jews actually disagreed with Paul, with what Paul was teaching. Now, question to you. Was Paul not a good apologist? Was not he a great preacher of the gospel? If there's anybody who's going to try to convince the Jews about the gospel, who would you pick from the entire history of the church? I'd pick the Apostle Paul. He would, he would be the number one who would, who would be the number one candidate to speak to a Jewish audience about the gospel. And yet, even though he was the one doing it, and even though the setting was a whole day experience, at the end of the day, there are Jews who disagreed. There are Jews who chose not to believe. And actually, disagreement arose between them. Oh, friends, the preaching of the gospel creates not only a unity among the people who embrace the gospel, but it creates a division between people who do embrace it and people who choose to reject it. And people who actually continue to reject it and, and are verbal about it. A division arises. We, we can't help that. Do you remember the old man um, in the book of Luke? At the, end of the book, at, the end, at the beginning of the book of Luke, uh, at the end of his life, Simeon, he was waiting because God had promised him that he will not die until he sees the, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the salvation of God. And after he blesses Mary and speaks about, the, about baby Jesus in, in some amazing ways, yet Simeon, look, listen to what Simeon said as Mary and, and, and Joseph were marveling. Simeon said, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And as a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon spoke about the fall of many in Israel on account of Jesus. Simeon spoke about Jesus as being a sign that is going to be opposed in order to reveal the thoughts of many hearts. The coming of Jesus was about to produce a division among the Israelites themselves. Some would fall because of Christ, because he was going to be a stone of stumbling for them. Others would go, were going to rise because Christ would become the foundation stone, a stone on which Christ, on which God himself will build his church. For some, Jesus became a fragrance of death. For others, Jesus became a fragrance of life. For those who would respond to Christ and turn to him. Now, it is not Jesus that produces the division. The division is produced by 
the open rejection to Jesus. The open rejection to Jesus produces a division. Because people choose to reject the gospel, often we are faced with a division even today. Especially when their rejection is visible and open. Friends, I want to encourage us. I want to warn us. Such division is inevitable in the work of the gospel. We wish it was not so. We wish people would not respond in this way. But that's not the case. It didn't happen even at the book of Act, in the book of Acts, and it will continue to do so, and it continues to do so even today. Expect such disagreements. I'm not telling you to look for them. I'm not telling you to, to search for them. I'm not talk, asking you to cause them. Have a, have a peaceful spirit. Have a gentle spirit. But when you speak the truth, and when you speak God's word faithfully, and people reject it and continue to reject it, you're going to experience such disagreements. You're going to experience such tension. They might call you names. They might think that you're narrow-minded. They might think that you're a religious fanatic or other such names. Friends, be not surprised at such a reaction. This is going to happen. It's going to happen with your friends, acquaintances, neighbors. It's going to happen even in your family, with family members. Pray that God gives you the strength to know how to respond when you face the hardening of the heart when you face that rejection. Don't be personally offended. The, the last thing we should do when, when people reject the gospel is somehow to feel like it's, it's a personal offense. Now, yes, be sad and grieved for the eternal state that they are in. But don't be personally offended. With gentleness and sweetness, continue to testify to Christ before them. Number one point is that the gospel produces a new division. Expect it. If it happens, don't be surprised. And if it happens, be gentle, be hopeful. Second point that we see I'd like to bring to you is that God's Word is true even when it's rejected. God's Word is true even when it's rejected. Notice what Paul says to the Jews that began to disagree. Now, we're going to read this. I'm giving you a caution. You might not have to say this in every situation you're in whether people disagree with you. Paul, had, Paul said these things because he didn't know if he will ever see these people again. With people that you encounter that disagree on the gospel, but you will still have opportunities to talk to, this may not be the first approach or the first words you're going to say when they disagree with you. Right? So I'm not saying you should say these things, but you should keep these things in mind. And yet there might be times when you will have to say these things. As we're going to look at Paul's reaction, it might seem harsh. But let's listen to exactly what's going on as he responds and reacts. Uh, the, the entire day, Paul tried to convince his audience about Jesus. And what did he use to convince them about Jesus? He used the Old Testament, right? Now, Paul is going to speak to them about their rejection. And what is he going to use in confronting their own rejection. The Old Testament. The Word of God. He's got the same strategy in confronting their own rejection of Jesus, of, of the gospel. 
And the place he goes to is a prophet Isaiah. Now, what did Isaiah say? Turn to Isaiah 6, chapter 6, um, and let's briefly look at exactly what happened. We read this passage earlier in our text, in our, in our service. Uh, God revealed himself to Isaiah in this amazing vision that actually Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah, uh, Uzziah died. God called Isaiah to be his prophet. God's calling to Isaiah was very special. God healed Isaiah's lips so that Isaiah could actually be a pure messenger. Such a special calling with such a great vision of God surely must have prepared the way for a great ministry for Isaiah. If anybody's going to be called into the ministry, Isaiah's calling was just off the charts. And you think that that kind of calling was preparing the way for an off-the-charts ministry, amazing ministry, right? Well, God warned Isaiah that the people to whom he's sending him will not respond to Isaiah. They will not understand. They will not perceive. And the problem is not the messenger. The problem is not the message. The problem is the heart of the people. They have continued to ignore God for a long time. They have continued to follow their own ways against God's ways. They have rebelled against God and against His ways. And now God called Isaiah the prophet to declare to His people a message that will actually harden their hearts even more. What God desired is that people would be able to hear and understand, that they would be able to see and perceive, that they would be able to understand and turn their hearts and and be healed. But at this point, at this point in the history of, of God's people, God said, my grace has come to an end. I am bringing judgment. And I'm asking you, Isaiah, to go and speak to this people. And they will not hear you. Your message will harden their hearts. God warned Isaiah that, that his ministry will not be successful in, in, in the world's eyes by any means. God's judgment in, against his own people is that they will no longer be able to hear and understand because they already have rejected God. And now God is rejecting them by sending them a prophet whose ministry will harden their hearts. No fruit from this ministry in terms of numbers. Nothing. And Isaiah asks, he says, Lord, how long will this be? All right, a week? A, a sermon? A week? A Sunday? A month? A year? How long will this be, Lord? How long will you giving me this kind of ministry? And the Lord pretty much said, until everything is destroyed. Until everything is destroyed. The destruction of the exile was God's hand against his people. And, and they didn't see it as such. Isaiah was sent to tell them that the, the calamities that are going to come against them is, is not that God has, has, has somehow not, no, not powerful enough for them, but actually God is disciplining them. The excommunication from the land was God's punishment to awaken them. But they will not see it. Friends, this is a hard ministry calling. Would you sign up for such a calling? Knowing that you will see no fruit in your lifetime? Isaiah would not be viewed as a very successful church leader. 
today. I can't, I can't see many of the church leadership magazines taking an interview with Isaiah and taking him as a model. It's hard. I mean, church, would you hire Isaiah as your pastor? If this is the kind of ministry he was given by the Lord, he received from the Lord, and who was, supposed, who was determining Isaiah's ministry? It's God. And God said, the human is speaking, there will be no positive responses to his message. This is Isaiah chapter 6. And yet, the end of, of the chapter ended with a glimpse, a very, very, very small glimpse of hope. There will be a remnant. Isaiah 6, 13. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burnt again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. And yet, God says the holy seed is a stump. The stump is not destroyed. The whole tree is destroyed. All that's left is a stump. But that stump is a remnant, a holy seed. And now Paul brings this background and he speaks from this passage as he is applying it to the hearts and to the situation of his hearers. Paul brings this Old Testament background and says the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, to Isaiah the prophet, notice that Paul doesn't address these words only to Isaiah. Of course, Isaiah spoke them. Of course, Isaiah wrote them. And yet, it wasn't Isaiah alone that spoke those words. It was the Holy Spirit who spoke to the Old Testament people. Paul agrees that what the Holy Spirit has said centuries ago, before in Isaiah's time, was also true in his own time. And not only that, Paul actually says, he was right. People will keep on hearing the Word of God, but not understand it. They will keep seeing it, but not perceive it. It's not that they are no longer hearing the Word of God. It's that they continue to hear it, but not understand it. The judgment of God is that the people will keep hearing the Word of God, but not be able to understand it. So they will not turn to God. They will not see God's ways. Therefore, God will not heal them. It's amazing that Paul says, the Holy Spirit said right, spoke rightly even in that situation. Friends, can you say that? How, how can someone say that? Do we get this? We think that the Word of God accomplishes His purposes only when we see the results of, of positive response to the gospel. But here it seems like Paul suggests and says, no, the Word of God is accomplished even when people reject it. God was glorified not only when he sends his salvation and deliverance, but God is glorified even when he sends his judgments. Remember the story of Exodus? Pharaoh hardened his heart. What did God do afterwards? God hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. God was glorified not only through the exodus of, and the deliverance of, of Israel, but also through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Now, it's hard for us to put these two things together. But this, is, this means that the glory of God is manifested not only in images of success, of positive response, but the glory of God is manifested also when God's Word continues to blind people because they have rejected God already. That's why Paul is able to say and respond to this rejection and say, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, really? Really? Did I say that? 
Could I apply that? Even then, Paul says, even in rejection, the Holy Spirit spoke correctly. My friend, if this morning you're thinking about rejecting the Word of God, the message of God, take this warning to heart. Your rejection of God's Word does not make God's Word less truthful, less powerful. Actually, you are confirming what He said. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. We have had some such experiences in our own midst as some of our own members have walked away willingly, purposefully, away from Christ. God's Word is true even when rejected. That's point number two. Point number three. Paul says here that rejecting the gospel is a problem of the heart. Rejecting the gospel is a problem of the heart. This is one of the reasons why Paul also said it was right for the Holy Spirit to say this. What, what exactly did the Holy Spirit say? The reason for the inability to perceive and understand the message of the gospel is the heart. It's because of their go- hearts have grown dull. Now, of course, biologically, if you have a heart problem, you can still see. You can still hear even if your heart is not functioning exactly well or to its full capacity. But spiritually speaking, if your heart is not functioning well, it will affect your hearing. Your hearing. It will affect your eyesight, spiritually speaking. The heart affects the way we understand and perceive spiritual truth. When people are not excited about the truth of God, when people reject the truth of God, when people turn their backs against God, The problem is always the heart. It's not circumstances. It's not other people and scenarios. It's the heart. Sometimes people find excuses. You've probably heard these situations. Um, Someone turns away from God, and, and there might be a human explanation of why they are turning away from God. A common excuse I find I hear is, well, they've seen the hypocrisy in other Christians, or they've seen how how bad. Churches truly are. They're not what they truly say they are. And therefore, they got burned out or fed up, and they have turned their backs toward God. Well, that might be true. I mean, that might be true that they've seen hypocrisy. They might be true that they've been hurt, um, and they've been burnt, uh, sadly, by people who actually were supposed to be gentle and gracious. I mean, those things could be true. But nevertheless, ultimately, the reason why someone turns away from God and no longer listens to the Word of God It's because of the heart. The heart has gone bad. The heart has become dull. Look at verse 27. For this people's heart has grown dull. That's why they can't see. That's why they cannot hear. How does a dull heart manifest? What are some things we can learn about from this truth? Because, friends, the dullness of heart can grow in our own hearts. I remember Isaiah was sent to the people of Israel. Not to Gentiles, not to pagans, the people of Israel. So how does a heart grow dull? Well, here are some things you can, you can consider. You no longer hear what God intends to speak. You no longer hear what God intends to speak. There are people who hear, hear God's word and not getting anything out of it. Worse, they could actually be twisting it. They find objections, objections that come not from a sincere heart that actually seeks the truth, but come from a heart that actually wants to reject it. And therefore, it's coming up with all these excuses why 
They want to reject the truth. If you hear people twisting the truth in order to reject it, you have before you a heart that has already become dull. If you hear people who say they're reading the Word of God or they hear the Word of God but are not getting anything out of it, you have a heart that is starting to grow dull. Starting to grow dull. Friends, this, is, this can be all of us, any of us, any day, any week, any year. We can grow in a season of life where opening God's Word, we're hearing it. It's not like we're rejecting it. We're, hearing, we're still exposed to it, but we're not getting it. We're not hearing what God is speaking to us. When you hear people who are no longer hearing God's truth in the Bible, or no longer seeing its beauty, or power, you have people whose hearts are starting become dull. When you have people who are no longer willing to apply God's Word to their lives and circumstances, you have the symptom of a heart already growing dull. These are red flags, and these red flags can be in any of our hearts, mine included. That's why we're supposed to look for each other, watch over one another. If you hear people who are no longer open to examine God's Word, to look at it and seek to understand it truly, what it says, you have someone whose heart has already become dull. The hardness of our heart already set in in that situation. I love what Matthew Henry says, because you will not give your minds to understand God's word, God will not give you strength and grace to understand it. Because you do not give your minds to understand God's word, God will not give you the strength and the grace to understand it. Now, it's really sad when, uh, when Paul has to say that the same problem their fathers had in Isaiah's time is their problem on that day. By the way, it, this problem of the heart didn't start with Isaiah. It started with the Exodus generation. Moses told the second generation of, the, of, of those who came out of Egypt in Deuteronomy chapter 29. He said, to this day... The Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Wow. To this day. And that started with the second generation of the Exodus. A heart that is dull is a stubborn heart. Stubborn against God. Stubborn against His ways. Is rather following idols of the world than the Word of God. This crowd was suffering from the same problem. No wonder that God promised through the prophet Ezekiel... In the book of Ezekiel, what you really need is a new heart. And I'm going to give it to you. When I will pour out your, my spirit upon you, I will cleanse you from your iniquity. I will give you a new heart. Oh, friends, that happened on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit upon people, upon many Jews. But here at the end of Acts, we see that not all Jews have received that. How can they be converted if they're not aware of their disease? How can they be healed if they're not they don't see their problem. How will they know about their heart problem if they're not willing to hear about it? Again, Matthew Henry, let all that hear the gospel and do not heed it tremble at, his, at this doom. For when once they are given up to the hardness of heart, they are already under the suburbs of hell. For who shall heal them if God does not? Unless God does something to open up the heart that is hardened, nobody can. And when Paul uses this quotation here at the end of the book of Acts, he's not just shoving it in their face 
in a way to be mean or angry at them. He's actually giving the last warning as a way of hoping to awaken them, to point them that their hearts have become dull. Paul intended to provoke them to consider again their rejection even as they were leaving that place. Friends, last, last point that I'd like to see is that even, even though the problem of rejecting God is a problem of the heart, and unless God does something, we have no hope, even then, even in rejection, we do not give up hope. We do not give up hope. This is the last point I want to leave with you this morning. Notice that Paul ends this quotation from the Old Testament with the last words in verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, why did Paul say that? Why did Paul say that? In one, in one sense, to let them know that God's salvation did not stop with Israel. Even though it might have failed, humanly speaking, with that crowd, God's salvation it keeps being sent out, sent to the Gentiles. God's or the rejection of God is not without hope, not in the end. In Israel's case, God has made already clear that He is going to send His salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember Simeon at the beginning of Luke? He already said, he said, again, the same one who spoke about the division within Israel, he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon already spoken about that. John the Baptist spoke about, about his ministry and about the coming of Jesus, and he quoted the prophet Isaiah again. And John the Baptist said in Luke 3, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now Luke at the end of Acts says, Yes, you're, you're rejecting God, but the salvation of God is being sent to the Gentiles. God's salvation does not fail even when people fail to respond to it. But another reason why Paul said that is to stir up their jealousy. Paul sort of brings it to them that that which they are now rejecting will be sent to the Gentiles and they, they will listen. What a promise! What a confidence! And Paul said in Romans eleven thirteen, 13, he said, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Even in rejection, even in facing the rejection of the Jews, Paul magnifies that the Gentiles will hear the gospel. And he says it not to sh close the eye or the door on the Jews. No. He does it in the hope that even this act, that these words that seem at first hard and, 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 and hard to understand and seem merciless, if you will. No, there's, there's so much hope that Paul has that even in the midst of rejection, some of them might still awaken after they leave that place and remember that Paul quoted the Old Testament even about their rejection. That somehow that might spring up some roots of life and awaken their minds, and they could be actually won back, and actually would turn, and start seeing, and start understanding, and they would turn to God with their hearts, and God would heal them. Even in the face of rejection, there's still hope. Friend, do not give up hope for people who reject the gospel. 
even if, if we must use hard words to challenge their hearts, even when we have to, 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 to see, it seems like we're closing the door on them because they seem to be closing the door on God, even then, keep praying, keep hoping, keep testifying that somehow the grace of God would overcome their own hardness. Because if God would not heal their hearts, nothing can. That's how hardened they have become. Four points about this rejection of the gospel. The gospel produces a new division. Expect it. Prepare for it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't freak out when it happens. It's not your fault. It will happen. Second, God's word is true even when it is rejected. God's word is true. God has spoken about rejection. Rejecting the gospel is a problem of the heart. That's where the true problem is. Don't fall for the human excuses, for the human explanation. And even if those excuses and explanations are true, have a dose of truth, it still doesn't excuse the fact that ultimately people respond or reject the gospel because of the heart. Finally, even in rejection, don't give up. Keep hoping. Keep praying. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is a word of hope, even in rejection. Father, thank you that your name is glorified even when you have a word of judgment. Father, thank you that your eternal plans will never fail. Help us to be confident in your word. Help us to be confident even when we meet rejection around us. And Father, help us to be hopeful even when we feel like ready to give up. Even when we feel like the experience of rejection is so so much around us. It's so much in our own lives. It's been so for so long that people have been rejecting the gospel, even though we've tried for so long. Lord, fill our hearts with hope. Give us wisdom and discernment what to say in the midst of rejection. Lord, we pray that you, the Almighty God, will grant new hearts to those who still reject you. And may they start seeing again. May they start hearing again. May they turn to you and may you heal them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.